Because I realized that my life was spiraling out of control. And if I didn't do something, it wasn't going to turn out well for me. More importantly, I was concerned about my children. If it don't turn out well for me, it's not going to turn out well for my children. You know, having grown up without my dad and the wounds and the pain and so forth, I didn't want my children to go through that. Hi, everyone. This is Ross, your host of Bear Crawl with Dads. So true confession, I'm completely leveraging this podcast for personal and selfish reasons. You see, not too long ago, I became a dad for the very first time, but with that, an older dad. So the one thing that I know so far is that this bear crawl as a dad is not meant to be done alone. We truly need each other. So may this podcast be that for you. So come along and let's bear crawl together. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us on the next episode here of Bear Crawl with Dads. I am beyond excited and honored for the guest that I'm going to present to you and just visit with uh, over the next hour or two. His name is Minister Stephen Hicks, and he is the founder and executive director of My Brother's Keeper of Greater Richmond, Virginia. He is called Coach because he is a passionate leader, a God-fearing man, a coordinator, a spiritual mentor, a men's motivational speaker. He's also to a frequent speaker at conferences and workshops with men from all levels of society. He's been featured in Richmond Times Dispatch, the Richmond Magazine, Urban Views in Virginia this morning. Speaking engagements include the Virginia Family and Fatherhood Symposium, Iron Sharpens Iron Men's Conferences, and the Henrico County Public School Fatherhood Conference. The coach has an associate degree in psychology, a bachelor of arts in ministry, and is working on his bachelor of science in strategic communications and um, has certifications and fatherhood facilitation, mentor training. All that to say is this guy is the real deal. Maybe his finest accomplishment is the fact that he has a wife and he's married and he is the father of six children. And if there's any more, but uh, a proud <laughs> grandfather of two. So that's probably his biggest accomplishment. But Coach Hicks, welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Ross. It's a pleasure to be here. I had to uh, kind of realize, is he talking about me? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. So reading this, uh, I'm, I'm a little intimidated. But coach, uh, I can't thank you enough for just taking the time because I know this is something that you're passionate about. And this is something that, you know, not only do we want to share insights, but at the end of the day, um, I think our goal is to really just to encourage men, fathers out there, wherever they are in their walk, and just to know that they're not in this alone. Tell us a little bit about you and, and just your upbringing. And, you know, I grew up uh, in Alabama during the, the 1960s at the beginning of the civil rights movement. Mm. And so I experienced, you know, a lot of racism very early on. Most of the documentaries and things on TV that you see involving, you know, dogs being sick on people and the police hosing down women and children and so forth. You know, those things were real experiences for me. I also grew up, uh, my father wasn't involved in my life at all. My father actually signed away his rights to allow another man to adopt and raise me. The scar that that left is lifelong. 
Of course, I didn't know that at that time. I didn't really learn that till many years later when I really mm-hmm. tried to look into my family history. And when I found that out, it's like, wow, that's deep. But I also, you know, I dropped out of high school when I was 16 years old. You know, smart kid, typical male testosterone. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. I got this. I didn't feel like schools were teaching me what I should have been being taught. And I dropped out. I got out there and went, got out in the world and the world quickly began to kick my butt. I realized that I had to, to get a, to go back and get some education. And um, that education was a way out for me. As a young adult, I, I struggled a lot because I didn't have a lot of guidance and direction. I had to learn a lot by trial and error. I'm an oldest child. My brothers and sisters looked up to me. There was pressure of that. They thought I could do no wrong, but they didn't realize that I was out here struggling mighty. Um, that also led me to a 12, 10, 12 year addiction to crack cocaine. I would have considered myself the worst type of addict. Mm-hmm. And that is a functional addict, meaning that I could do things and, and function, but the functions I wanted to perform were only functions enough that was going to make me money to get my fix. Mm-hmm. And I lived a double lifestyle. I was one person during the day and somebody else entirely different at night. If you don't yeah. mind, were you kind of raising your siblings as the oldest? Is that where that double pressure kind of the duplicity came into play? Well, that came into play because you know, my mother worked and my mother went to work early in the morning. So okay. oftentimes when we got up, my mother was already gone. And so I raised my brothers and sisters in the sense that, you know, I'm the one that got them dressed in the morning. I'm the one that made sure they had breakfast. I'm the one that got them off to school. And I did all those things before I went to school. Okay. Okay. You know, evening times, I also was most of the times I was the one to pick them up as well. My brothers and sisters, they had a reverence for me. It wasn't I'm the one that put the pressure on myself in terms of being that all. But for me, I thought it was my duty as part of the family. That's that was my contribution. My mother was off working and it was my job to help her by doing what I did. So during the addiction, I met my first wife. We had two children together. Mm-hmm. Of course, my addiction destroyed that relationship. Also, during that time of addiction, I became incarcerated and, and I'm actually in the being thankful for it being incarcerated because it gave me an opportunity to sit down. I mean, I was going into an environment that I had never experienced. I had heard about it. And honestly, Ross, I was scared to death. I prayed that the God would just watch over me and take care of me while I was in there because I didn't know what I was going to experience. My prayers were answered. He landed me in a cell of Christian men. How old are you? Sadly enough, I was in my 30s. Oh, okay. Yeah, I had never gotten into trouble as a youth. You know, it was when I became a young adult that I began to really, you know, have legal issues and things like that. Mm -hmm. Driving without licenses or suspended licenses. Mm -hmm. Bad choices Mm -hmm. or decisions. Because everything was feeding that addiction. Everything was feeding the addiction. I've also been homeless on three separate occasions. I have survived triple bypass heart surgery. 
Um, currently, I have congenital heart failure now. I'm diabetic. I have kidney disease. I'm blind in one eye, but I am blessed. Coach, you are. Yeah, you're a walking miracle. I am blessed, brother. Wow. And wow. I know it is only by the grace of God go I. And and I'm here for a reason. God has me here mm-hmm. for a reason. Mm-hmm. And I want to make sure that I'm alert and aware and awake and, and processing why he has me here. Mm. I think we would be remiss if we didn't acknowledge what, uh, you know, obviously when we put these shows out, you know, they're weeks and months in advance. Um, but today is the National Day of Observing the Life of MLK. So I think we would be rem- rem- remiss if we didn't acknowledge that. And one of my favorite quotes from him is from the strength to love. The ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. Yes. So by what you just stated, as far as all of the things that you physically or have battled, you have faced times of challenge and controversy and you're still standing. And so I think you're kind of a, living testimony to his vision, his words, but ultimately your, your heavenly father coach. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one of the main, main strengths I want to teach my children is resilience, the ability to bounce back. And for me, when I'm teaching my children, the biggest tool that I use is I model the behavior I want them to have. Can you think of an example of when you had to do that, but it was really, really hard? Yeah, all the time, bro. Okay, okay. <laughs> but typically, a lot of times as parents, we tend to hide what's going on. I view the family as the family business. And all of us have a role to play in the family business. I can't play my role if I'm not aware of what's going on. Mm. And as parents, we tend to hide things from our children. We'll say things like, you know, this is grown folks' business and things like that, when actually we should be providing understanding to our children as to what we're dealing with and what we're going through. Mm. And not only that, but how we go through it. I would imagine too, with that, there's gotta be a matter or or a spirit of discernment of what to share, right? Because I I hear that and I agree, but also too, I'm thinking, Land, do you share everything? I am transparent to all. Mm. Okay. What I mean that though is when I'm struggling with something My children know that I'm struggling, not because I need their help or whatever, but again, is I want them to see that dad is not perfect. Right. Dad makes mistakes. Dad has challenges. Dad faces things. But this is how dad gets through. Mm -hmm. And so they see me cry. They see me pray. They see me in the hospital. How have you seen that played out with them? I see my youngest daughter being as resilient as I have. And I see it in her because she has had, unfortunately, she has had some of the challenges that I have. Mm -hmm. My niece pointed this out to me. It was very interesting how our children are different and how different things reach them and so forth. Mm -hmm. And so my niece pointed out to me that my one daughter that I have the most trouble with She said, uncle, you know what the problem is? I said, no, you tell me, (laughs) (laughs) you know, so I'm expecting. Let me me sit down. Yeah. 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 You know, you you (laughs) come on. on, Yeah. You tell me But she said, 
you are trying to discipline the you out of her. Does that resonate with you? Uh, Yeah. Yep. And so my youngest daughter is so much like me. She has so many of those traits of when I was struggling and going through things that I really don't want her to have. I understand it because she's me. So it's like you're trying to rescue her because of what you went through and you don't want her to go through that without allowing her to to make the mistakes on her own. That's part of it. Yes. Because wisdom is the acceleration of time. You can learn from my mistakes without going through the mistakes. That would take to me, that would take a really wise, mature youth, teenager, young adult, right? Yes. To take yeah, that but, wisdom and yeah. say, yeah, okay. And go down the quote, the right path. But you know, what's interesting is that, like I said, I have six. Mm-hmm. So if five are following that path and they're doing well, why is it the six doing the same thing? That begs the question. And not only that, because she's the youngest, she also sees a proven pattern that works. When you have a proven pattern that works, why would you want to attempt or do something else that you have no idea whether it's going to work or not? Well, that's where I think that's where pride comes in, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. Hey, that that's you. Yeah, that's not me. That's me, bro. Come, that's, see, now you're getting it. That's me. I am the baby of my family. I saw what's coming or what happened, but that's not going to happen to me. No, 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 mm-hmm. no. I, I got this. Mm-hmm. I got this. I, I hear you, mm-hmm. but I got this. Yeah. And then... I wander off into the desert. Well, you know, it's interesting because we become what we don't want to become. You know, it, that plays into Romans, the good. I want to do that. I don't do the bad. I don't want to do that. I do. It's that internal struggle. So if I can hijack with what you're doing, I believe, what, 16 years. Is that correct? That is correct. With my brother's uh, keepers. 16, there. Six, 16 years of fatherhood work and... 15 with MBK on my own. So anybody that's willing to be transparent, be vulnerable, open, like you have, and like you shared how you are with your family, that's huge. I I think generally speaking, not to stereotype, again, I think we as men tend to be guarded. We don't want to let our our guard down because we're tough. We got this. And But it takes one brave person to say, I I don't really care, man. I'm just going to be real. And then that really allows other people, oh man, if he's being real, then yeah, I'm going to be real. So thank you for that. And, and again, my prayer is that somebody listening out there, this is really resonating with somebody, but what led you to say, man, I've got to get, I got to roll my sleeve up and just get dirty and, and get my brother's keepers started. What happened? Well, initially it really started as a desire to, to be a better person and a better man, better father myself. I was in my early forties, man. And I still was very unstable. Mm -hmm. I was living in Baltimore at that time. And I made a decision to come to Richmond. And that decision was based on several things. One, my children were getting older. They were growing into a point where they would understand what dad was doing. That mattered to me. So in in a way, it was an intentional accountability. It was very intentional because I realized 
that my life was spiraling out of control. And if I didn't do something, it wasn't going to turn out well for me. More importantly, I was concerned about my children. If it don't turn out well for me, it's not going to turn out well for my children. You know, having grown up without my dad and the wounds and, 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 and the pain and so forth, I didn't want my children to go through that. I didn't also, I wanted to break the cycle because that seems to be, as I look into our family history, that seems to be a cycle in my family. Hmm. I'm going to be the one to stand up and break this. And so at the time, I still was a little dabbling at the little drugs. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go to Richmond because I don't know anybody there. Uh, I don't know any open air markets. Okay. I don't know any dealers that can bring it to my door. People don't know me. I can get a fresh start. I can put my past behind me and I can be the man I desired inside to be. And for 20 years, I have rebuilt that man. So it was really out of a need of my home, man. But coach, that is, I would imagine you are, that's rare. Was it like an audible voice of God? Like for you to truly pivot and to say enough is enough. And for you to take that intentional, I'm not doing this anymore. I mean, how many people don't do that? They want to do that, but they're just yeah. not strong enough. What was it? That's huge. Honestly, I don't know. It's just, I knew I had to do better. I knew I was destined for better. I would look in the mirror and I didn't like who was looking back at me. And as I said, my children were fourth most thought in my mind. I did not want them to grow up without me. You would think that you talk about resilience earlier. You would think that most men would be, you know, you said your 40s. I'm in my 40s. My kid, you know, screw it. What's the point? I've dug my hole. I've dug the hole too deep. It's too late. It's not worth it. Right. I mean, I would imagine a lot of people would just give up. I think some of my early upbringing, though, had something to do with that in terms of helping to raise my brothers and sisters. So when I had children, it was an easy transition for me. I got you. Yep. You know, and, you're already and playing I that got, role. Yeah. I had gotten accustomed to that. And honestly, what made me make that change was I lost everything. Everything I worked for, I lost. I hit rock bottom. And at that point, there was nowhere else for me to go but up. Mm-hmm. And so the other part of that testimony, too, is, you know, most people go to a rehab for 30 days, six days, six months and so forth. You know what, Ross? I said, I'm done with this and I'm never going to pick it up again. And I walked away from it. And you never did. And I never went to a treatment center or anything. (laughs) I was done. That was 22 years ago. Wow. When I make up my mind to do something. Man, I'm unstoppable. Well, I would say 16 years of my brother's keeper. That's also by the grace of God, man, because many times I've, I've wanted to throw in the tile and say, you know, why why me? And, you know, I can't do this work. It's too hard. You know, it's too trying on me. And I care about people more than they care about themselves and all these different things. And he won't let me quit. Okay, so you basically uprooted no connections in Richmond. Yep. Why Richmond? I mean, I I get it. You don't know anybody. Yep. But what was it about Richmond? I didn't know anybody and it wasn't too far away from my children. I got you. Okay. 
Okay. I was just trying to. Yeah. I don't know that area yeah. very well. So I was just yeah. curious. Well, Richmond is about two hours away from Baltimore. And so I still wanted to have that connection. And um, honestly, probably the first two years I was here, I went to Baltimore every weekend, holidays. Um, you know, I would go to Baltimore, get my children and bring them back here with me. I've always been connected with my children. So you got to Richmond, you're establishing yourself. What was it that got <laughs> my brother's keeper going? And because I want to dig deeper into that, like, what are mm-hmm. you? But before we get into what is your day to day? What are you doing? What are you seeing? I mean, you are right there in the trenches. Mm-hmm. You know, and I can't think of a better person to, As it, yeah. to educate our audience on what's kind of going out on out there. But why did you start it and how? What question were you answering? Well, you know, when I came to Richmond, the other thing I did was um, I returned to my faith. You know, I grew up in the church. You know, a lot of young people, we get to a point where we can make our own choices and decisions and we stray away from the church. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to do our own thing. And and, and we, I tried all those things. I said, mm-hmm. none of them work. Mm-hmm. So let me go back to the church. Mm-hmm. And I was fortunate enough to get in a church where the pastor was really strong on uh, talking about manhood. Mm. And that piqued my interest because in a way, I I just kind of felt like I never really knew what manhood was, even though I was a man, I didn't know what manhood was. But even more importantly to me, I was interested in a different kind of man this time. I wanted to know what a biblical man is. That was my desire. I, you know, I no longer want to be, you know, the guy I was and this and another. I want to be a biblical man. And so I set on this pursuit to find out what a biblical man is. Little did I know if, um, I was going to be placed in charge of the men's ministry at a church that I began to attend. Just because of my passion, I began to teach you know, and have Bible studies that were specifically men on, on and, and men topics. And then honestly, as I got into more of a church leadership and, and, and I'm not here to offend any clergy, I have the utmost respect for them, but I, I'm transparent and I'm honest. And when I got into leadership positions of the church, I began to see things I didn't want to see. Not only that, I, I felt like I was being hindered for the calling that God was beginning to place in my belly to minister to men. Mm. And so I had to have the courage to kind of move outside of the church and become a church outside of the wall, outside of the wall, because I want to go to where the men are. I don't want men to feel like they're intimidated by having to have to come to a, a church. Right. I began to break down the barriers of why the church was having low attendance with men. And eventually, I just invited a couple other guys because I just wanted to kind of branch out on my own. And some of my closest friends, I just said, listen, guys, um, I'd like to start this group. I want you guys to come over to my house. You know, honestly, I don't know what we're going to do, but just study the Bible at men's Bible study at the moment. And I, I found five of my friends were agreed. 
Little did I know that God was going to place a curriculum in my possession called Authentic Manhood. It was created by Pastor Robert Lewis out out there in Texas. You may be familiar with him, but the work he was doing with the ministry out there kind of went national. And so I I grabbed this curriculum. I had $300 that day that I actually saved up to put on a down payment for some beat up old car because I needed a vehicle so bad. And my choice was that the curriculum was also $300. Uh, And my choice was, do I buy the car or do I buy the curriculum? I chose the curriculum and those guys came over and we started studying that curriculum and guys began to tell their friends and guys were like, can I invite so-and-so? I'm like, well, first of all, our first meeting was in a spare bedroom in my home. Six men in a spare bedroom. That's the only time you'll ever hear me say that in a niche. <laughs> but little did I know that these guys, as I said, you know, they began because of the things we were talking about. It's like, man, my friend's going through the same thing. And then they began sharing the information with them. And so now they want to come. The next thing I know, I had a church calling me saying, listen, I got a group of men. You know, I'm not sure what to do with them. I hear you're doing something. Would you mind coming over and we can partner? You can bring your guys. I'll bring my guys. And we finished a a 24-week curriculum together. Had a graduation for those guys. Some of those guys have never had a graduation or ceremony in their life. Oh, wow. You know, you invite their family, their friends, community, celebrate them, make a big thing out of it. That's cool. You know, and then the next year they're they're telling their friends. And so now I have to find a place because we're growing so large in terms of how many guys, you know, want to be part of the program. Right. And then there were nights, man, we meet, like, say, for instance, 630 to 830. There were nights when those guys wouldn't be out of there until almost 11 o'clock. Or if we let out, they would be in the parking lot talking and processing talking. Mm-hmm. this stuff. that and, and their wives couldn't wait for them to get home to talk about what, what it is that we talked about that night. And little did I know from that we were going to grow into the nonprofit. That wasn't my vision initially. It was my vision was just to heal and healed a couple of guys around me. Mm-hmm. And as we began to recognize, man, man, all of us are suffering from something. Mm-hmm. So why not come together as a brotherhood? You know, as iron sharpens iron, so man sharpens another man. But honestly, one of my favorite scriptures is when Jesus is talking to Peter and he says, the devil desires to sift you like wheat. He says, but I have prayed for you. Man, if that don't get anybody geeked up when you hear the son of the creator of the universe says, I have prayed for you. <laughs> if that don't get you, nothing will. <laughs> right. But, right. I, but, but I have prayed you that your faith fail not. And now that you have been strengthened, turn and strengthen your brothers. Mm-hmm. So that's what I live by. Mm-hmm. So is it fair to say because as you found the church, something resonated with you as far as what it means to be a godly man. Yeah. What you saw again, there's the powers in the local church, but 
you were a little dismayed of maybe uh, the politics, a, a lack of okay, so politics, the politics, so, yeah. So then you just by default started kind of a, hey, I just want to meet with men, and 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 it's, it just really steamrolled and snowballed, yeah. and and kind of what led you right now to to my brother's keepers sixteen years later. Yeah, it's been been difficult for the first eight nine years, man. I, I funded myself. I worked two, three jobs. I took contract work. I did counseling, all those things just to fund the ministry. A lot of this I didn't know, you know. Um, I knew about ministering to men and, and so forth, but things I didn't realize as, you know, a nonprofit is, first of all, I didn't know how to run a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. And, and recognizing that a nonprofit is a business. Mm-hmm. And so I had to learn all of those things as well. I had to put the business part of the ministry of, of along with the ministering side of, and put those things together. Right. You know, the other thing that's important to me is and should be to any business is is trust and credibility. Mm-hmm. And so those things are important to me, to the community. And so that's the reason I have different certifications. That's the reason you know, my business licenses and things are all up to par because I just believe in credibility. And for someone like me who has always felt like I've been behind the eight ball and I've had to fight for things, these are the things that makes it easier for me to catch up. Yeah. The, the dropout, the, the the addict, the convict, you know, these are things that I put myself behind in life with. And when I say that in, in, in relation to my peers and ages and so forth, you know, you you're always I've always had to fight an uphill battle because of choices I made. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm kind of a little bit harder on my youngest one is because I know what that uphill battle is. <laughs> and you don't have to have an uphill battle. I've already fought that battle for you. That's the same thing Jesus says to us, brother. You're fighting battles I've already fought for you. Mm-hmm. Just rest. <laughs> I'm the Prince of Peace. Yeah. What is it? And you've been doing this for a long time now, but what is it that you are seeing with the men that you encounter, the dad that you encounter? What are they coming with? What are they needing? Talk to the audience about, I guess, what you're seeing, you know, the needs. Just shed some light on that if you don't mind. One of the things that I would want your audience to be aware of is that most men are not where we think they should be. And we base those things upon sometimes their age and educational. We assume that they should be in a certain place in life. They should be in a certain place of maturity and understanding, and they're not. What I mean by that is, A lot of us have preconceptions and suppositions. We size people up the first time we see them. Right. And so 35-year-old, as an example, most people think that you should have it all together, that you're stable, you're well-off. And truth of the matter is, they aren't. And there's various reasons why they aren't. Some of the things you and I alluded to earlier, one is extended adolescence. Extended adolescence is where 
we have a, a generation of men who are refusing to grow up. And so what you have is a boy in a 35-year-old body. Mm. He thinks and processes like a boy and not a 35-year-old. And, you, and you're seeing a lot of that. We're seeing a lot of that. And part of the reasons for that is lack of a father, lack of role models, direction, guidance. And the other biggest thing is resources. Just as my testimony, I dropped out of high school. I had to get a GED at some point. These are what these guys are facing, the same things. They need GEDs. They need job skills. They need mental health assessments. Mm -hmm. They need transportations in some cases. Some of them need jobs. And it's how can you be a father without those things? Some of the things are out of alignment. One of the first things that God gave us to, to do was God gave us a work to do before he gave us a wife and family. In other words, men should be stable before they enter into relationships. Having a job, being able to support themselves, having their own places. We have guys who are living with their parents that are 40 and 50 years old and living in their parents' basements or spare bedrooms because they won't be responsible for taking care of themselves. So you, they never grow up. Do you feel like that's growing? Is that is that becoming more and more of a problem? I believe it's becoming more and more, and more of a problem because... It's generational. Not, it's generational, and there's not enough... You know, a lot of guys in our class, one of the first... We just started one of our new classes last <laughs> week. And at the end of the class, I always ask guys, so tell me one thing you learned today. And a common thing that I hear a lot of is, I didn't know as much as I thought I did. Because <laughs> see, all these dads in their own right think they're good fathers. And, and they are good fathers. But can you be a better father? Yes. And also, you need to understand that fatherhood has evolved that the roles fathers played for our fathers and grandfathers generation, our roles are entirely different. They're more comprehensive now because of awareness of what a child needs from us. As opposed to the generation where the father just goes out to work, comes home at night. Comes home, he's tired. Provider. He don't have anything to give. He's in control of the house. I make the money. Y'all do what I say. And give me the big piece of chicken. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Roles today are, is, are more comprehensive than that. We are responsible for their social, emotional, intellectual, spiritual, and physical well-being. And their creative needs. That's a lot of responsibility for a person to have to meet those needs. But before we weren't aware that we needed to meet those needs. Right. If it's becoming more of a problem, it's becoming more epidemic. You know, how do you stop the bleeding? How do you stop if, well, my father was absent or I didn't have a good role model. And if the person that you're working with now has a child and you learn from what you see, you reflect the light that was shown on you, if you will. How do you stop that bleeding? I mean, how do you attack this? That's a, that's, a, that's a big question. I get it. It is a big question. And, and, and I don't think there's any one single answer. 
But one thing I do know for sure is that if we don't educate dads of their importance and how much they matter in the lives of our children, we're not going to have a future. Malachi, this is also one of the issues that God warned us about in the last chapter of the Old Testament. In Malachi, when he says, I will turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. So something has occurred that the hearts of men are no longer that the children aren't in. And so we know that a God of heart matters. And so what he's really saying is that, fathers, you've gotten disconnected with your children. You've gotten disconnected. And as a result of your being disconnected, society is going to the wayside. And then the flip side of that, it says, he also says that, and I will also turn the hearts of the children back to the father. What that means is the children like myself, and I'm not sure about you, but we don't have a heart for a father be, because of what our father's, the father's absence. We haven't had an opportunity to develop our heart for them. Because they were gone. They're gone. It's some deep stuff, man. Yeah, yeah. My. <laughs> the other term I would like your audience to be aware of is called mm. the father wound. Father, the wound. father wound. Okay. The father wound is a wound that's inflicted on a child due to the absence of a father. Mm. And as we know, when something is missing, it creates a void. Mm-hmm. And so when a father is missing, a child has a void. He he doesn't know what his identity is. He doesn't know who he is because there's a void there. And we also know what when we have a void, something is going to fill it. Something's so going to go t- in. Mm-hmm. So what typically fills it? The stuff I went through. Mm-hmm. Drugs, you know, the addiction, getting incarcerated. Those things fill the hole. Those are the things that make us turn to those things to try to self-medicate. Right. Innately, all of us have a desire to please our father, whether they're there or not. Some of us men are subconsciously trying to be better than dad, and we're failing miserably because it really isn't a competition. But in our minds, you know, I have to be better than what he did and, and and so forth. And I also hear a lot of guys, and I did the same thing. In terms of my idea of manhood and fathering, I tried to do the opposite of what I saw my dad do. You're hearing men say they're, they're trying to do the opposite of what, my, of what right. their dad did. Mm. Right, but guess what? It's not enough just to do the opposite. I got to become aware. I got to be intentional. I have to know what it is that my child needs. We're too busy trying to give our child what they want rather than giving them what they need. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's your responsibility. So how does that translate with the men that you're actually working with that come to your doorstep and they're trying to fill that void or they didn't have a, a positive role model in their How do you changing a generation by becoming their father. Okay. So it really is the power Mm. of mentorship. Yes. By becoming their father, I take these guys under my wing and I personally tutor them. So there's the power of mentoring. It's the power of mentoring. And I hear that a lot. 
It's yep. the power of mentoring. It's the power of my transparency. Mm-hmm. And guys can see that I'm genuine and that I care. And mm-hmm. I'm not blowing smoke. They see I walk when I talk. Mm-hmm. Guess what? All their walls that they've built up come down. You know, it's interesting. My wife always makes jokes to me. And then just this morning, she said to me this. She said, I don't know if you realize it or not. You're a closer. I said, what do you mean by that? She said, guys, guys attach themselves to you after one conversation with you. You seal the deal. And it's true. I can have guys with the, the, the most anger that you've ever seen. And man, I can reach that guy within 30 minutes. It's a gift. It's a blessing. I can reach him in 30 minutes. And sometimes I've had to be blunt with guys, you know, because, you know, we tough. Sometimes you just got to talk tough to them. Mm-hmm. But you talk to them tough in love, mm-hmm. you know. And one guy had such an anger issue. I said to him, I said, man, I need to talk to you after class. <laughs> Called him up after class. I said, listen, I'm going to be honest with you. You could go through this class. You can get all the tools and things that I, I, I'm giving you. But if you don't get rid of that anger, there's no court on hell that will let you see your child that you so desire to see. Guess what? He's been a different dude ever since. Because what I do, too, is help them understand, too, it's not what society and the systems are also doing to each other, but what is it that you are doing? What harm are you causing your child through your actions? Your individual responsibility, right? Taking ownership. Yes. Right. Right. Own that. Own it. Because that's the only thing that's going to make you change your mind about what, what is you. You need to see yourself. Has that been the biggest hurdle with most men is owning it to be vulnerable, to humble themselves? I think so. We talk a lot about it. Again, we have, you know, we have 12 week session with them. And those are the things that we open up and review and talk about every week. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the opening and closings of our sessions. And so also men have to feel like it's a safe place. It's a safe environment uh, for them to open up. You know, I don't allow criticism, judgment, opinionated and so forth. You have to respect one another. We may not all agree with one another, but we can agree to respect one another. Mm-hmm. And I, I promote encouragement. You know, I talk a lot about, you know, us being lone wolves and so forth. And, you know, how we are created to be together and how we're stronger together, how we can accomplish and overcome more together. And then the other thing that's really helpful is I've also intentionally gone out and made community and partnered with community other community organizations and leaders and so forth to provide them with those wraparound other resources that they may need Mm. um, so that they can be the father we expect them to Mm. be. The adage of it takes a village, you know, right. And so, Hey, Hey brother, you know, I know you need to get an apartment or blah, blah, blah. blah, So you're going to go talk to my people over here who are going to help you, you know, look at an apartment application and what that looks like and what you need to do. And right. And so you're just kind of like referring to other people, other it's, it's, it's like we're all one body, right? We all can't be the eye. We all can't be right. the ear, right? right? It takes all of us, all the different right. parts of the body to help each other out, right? Right. And so and I uh, think what makes us special is I, I'm a big fan of warm handoffs. What do you like mean by that? Say, I don't like to say, here's a resource, call them. If they're in my office, I will call the resource and say, hey, 
I oh, got you. So I want you to meet him. This is da 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 da. There are cases where I actually take them, and so with my community partners, I have relationships with them, mm-hmm. and so. If I'm going to refer somebody, they know it before I'm going to refer it so they can treat my guy well. Treat your children well. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's what well, a father does, right? Exactly. Well, two things that, of course, many things are jumping in my mind. But one thing you mentioned, too, is that I think when you create an atmosphere of vulnerability uh, and openness, you know, I think it's powerful because a lot of guys, again, like we alluded to earlier, a lot of guys don't want to just kind of share and sit around in a circle and throw all their junk out right but for you to be vulnerable and create that atmosphere i think is, is is a huge blessing and i've stated this one of my shows where i was involved in a in a men's group and i was late to the party this this group had been going on for quite a while uh, but one of the guys in the group shared his struggles with pornography and not one guy in the in the circle like blinked their eye mm-hmm. nobody winced it was like okay mm-hmm. well what can we do to help you out man and it was like Mm-hmm. we're here for you. Yeah. And I was like, wow, for a guy to share. And he was a father, he had children, you know, and for this gentleman, he was a professional in, in that city. And I was like, for him to share that is huge because that environment, they've, they created a safe, non-judgmental place. Mm-hmm. And I was like, if he's going to share that, mm-hmm. well, man, and all the, everybody else is like, well, I'm going to open up and how freeing that is and how freeing it, was so i think there's power obviously and sounds like that's what you do too absolutely and you know that's an interesting point that you bring up too because as men what is one of the things that we're taught not to do as a child we're taught not to show our emotion and we're taught not to cry boys don't cry you know man up (laughs) we don't realize the damage that we're doing to our children by telling them that because they grow up not knowing how to express themselves or to handle their emotions appropriately. Exactly. Not that they don't have them. They just don't know how to deal with them appropriately because they were forced to uh, subdue them. And that can lead to some pretty, I'm sure, toxic, dangerous. Well, what happens is when we store our emotions and feelings and we put a lid on it and act like things didn't happen or we try to forget and so forth, it's like a Coke bottle. All it's doing is building up and it sits there. It's okay for a while, but soon as something in life happens and that bottle begins to shake and it becomes chaotic, eventually it's going to blow its top. And that's what we do. We hold our feelings inside until they explode. And they usually, when they, when they explode, it's usually in a detrimental situation. Mm-hmm. Whereas we can come together as a group and we can get those feelings out and handle them in an appropriate way. That's so awesome. One of our classes that we do is on grief and loss because guys don't know how to process that. And so we have these sessions, man, and we have a room full of guys that are crying. Is that the silent tears have been? Yeah. Sometimes, Ross, I'm in class and these guys are so broken, I have to stop the curriculum because they need ministering more than they need the curriculum. Guys are really broken. That's so good that you do that, man. Here's a quote from Frederick Douglass. Frederick Douglass says, it is easier to raise strong children than to repair broken men. Yes, yes. I, I'm very aware of that quote. How prophetic so was work, that? And so the work we do is it's, it's difficult work, mm-hmm. but it's necessary work and one that I'm passionate about doing. 
So another thing, a little bit of a, not to stereotype men again, but how do you specifically, not only with what you do in your specific, your nonprofit, but just in general and how this can relate to anybody out there listening, no matter where they are. But I feel like, you know, at least growing up, I, you know, right, right when I got in the car and my parents asked me or mom, you know, how's your day? Fine. What'd you do? Nothing. You know, I definitely went through that one word response, right? But it was through the act of doing something, whether it was with my father, whether it was with my mom, but not to sound stereotypical, but literally if I'm throwing the football with my dad, I would just start sharing. I would just start just kind of puking out what happened that day mm-hmm. or you know, if dad and I, there's a little time where he and I would work out together a lot, the local YMCA, we would go up and work out through the act of just doing something together. Mm-hmm. I would share now again, sit me at the dinner table, Ross, tell me about your day. I don't want to talk about it. Just, it so, so I feel like generally my experience has been with friends, guy friends that we, we share by doing something together, sitting in a duck blind, Going on a road trip, you know what I'm saying? So have mm-hmm. you, do you see that? Does that resonate? How do you get guys, I guess, guys to open up? You know, for me, I just, I just relate to a lot of my own experiences and, and how they worked out and, or how it didn't work out. Um, I think a lot of guys, you know, I think family the dinner time, I think that's a very valuable time. I think the role of family dinner time has changed. And I think we need to get back. Family dinner time was the time, used to be the time that the family spent together to really talk about, again, what I call the family business. Yes. You know, but I also like, you know, in contributing to that is, yeah, you have to have those times in between and building the the relationships between and having those activities. One thing that that for my kids is I was always in PTA. Interesting. I was always I was always in PTA from the very t- first time they stepped door in school. When they get to high school, they'd be like, "Dad, please don't join PTA." I, I, I'm <laughs> telling y'all, I'm a lifetime member. <laughs> but at the same token, they didn't want me to be a part of PTA. But whenever the school needed somebody, a mentor. Um, somebody to come up and barbecue for the graduating class or somebody to be a chaperone on a trip. Guess who the first person they call? You. Me. And that. And you know, Ross, I found it. Kids loved it. I found it really interesting because I have girls. I think about this now. I was chaperoning. Parents would allow their other, their girls to be with my girls. And we would go on trips to the beach and stuff like that. I mean, who would do that today? Mm-hmm. Would you let your girls go with somebody that they that you only you only know me from the school to probably. go off for a weekend? <laughs> probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I was doing those things, and I don't know why. I, it's just God, mm-hmm. you know. But the point I'm making is that I spent a lot of in between time, you know. A lot of things that I and I, and I and this is the things that I tell the guys. A lot of things that I did, we worry about money and things like. If I'm, I don't have no money, I can't do anything with my child. I did a lot of free stuff, you know. I, I made lunches, go take, go to the park, make have a picnic. We flew kite, you know. We sometimes we go to the creek and skip rocks, and so 
it's really those small moments of us doing things that we think have little to no impact. It's the things that mean so much to our children. And I think that translate to a better dinner time. Well, coach, the fact that you just said that uh, my wife and I literally tonight on the way home with our boy and our dogs, uh, we were playing at the park and we were talking about her upbringing and her different sets of, of grandparents. I remember going to this one set of grandparents and we didn't do a whole lot, you know, but I do remember playing hopscotch with my granddad. I still remember that. Right. Mm -hmm. And then she was like, but I remember over here, but she goes, it's the point is we don't remember the big, sometimes the big things and the gifts and, and that what I remember. And I've said this before, I think in some shows, what I remember my granddad in Galveston, he was the mayor of Galveston. He was a mm-hmm. family doctor in Galveston. Very, very prominent. Mm-hmm. But I, I say that to say <laughs> he was kind of quote this larger than life. But sitting down with him at a Dairy Queen, getting a vanilla cone, mm-hmm. that meant the world to me because he mm-hmm. stopped everything mm-hmm. to be with me. And it was just that quality time. Mm-hmm. And And she was talking about, my wife was talking about, it's the glimpses of her times with her family, whatever, it was the quality time. And that's come up in several of my interviews over this show mm-hmm. on this podcast is just quality time. Just that I'm with you, man. Yeah. I'm present. My cell phone is down. I'm present. And again, like you said, just go to the park, go. If you live near a lake, just go skip rocks. That's the gold right now. And yeah. so you know, I want I want dads out there or or moms or whoever's listening to find encouragement in that. So I love that you said that. And one thing that my wife, you know, again, like I, the whole genesis of this podcast is to leverage it mm-hmm. to meet people mm-hmm. like you and glean information and encourage other people as I'm kind of a new dad. But one thing that we were committed to, because I have a stepdaughter um, who's 13. So before we even were blessed with a, a child of our own. Mm-hmm. was that our dinner time was our sacred time and that mm-hmm. nothing yeah. was going yeah. to penetrate that because that came out of my upbringing. And that's one thing that is pretty sacred to us. Cell phones are away and that's where we really have. I'm finding out about my stepdaughter's crush, like, right. <laughs> you know, and she feels comfortable talking about that because we don't judge her. We just like, okay, all right. You know, anyway. All right. And that's what we want to create for our children. We want to create an atmosphere that our children can come to us and talk about anything. Yes. And so for me, our dinner times, especially earlier on at the, you know, their developmental age, our dinner time consisted of not only talking about the things that we wanted them to do and so forth, but what is it you want to do? And then also, you know, talking about the roles in the family. You know, I'm the father. Here are some of the things that I do to contribute to our family. We as a family have to take care of each other. Yes. We all have a part to play. Right. Here is the role your mother plays. Here is the part that you guys play. And we enlighten them to that and invite them to, you know, as an example, what rules do you think you should have? Now, some of them may not be sensible, but we gave them an opportunity to express themselves. Yeah, that's huge. Do they have voice? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You are a part of the family and you are you have a voice in what goes on in this family, even though you are tiny tied. Yep. And it's those things to me that make family dinner time what it should be. 
It should be a time of family empowerment. It's a sacred time. And and I really would encourage those out there to really try to, if there's one thing maybe that you could do if you're not doing that, and it's that. I think that's a, it's a beautiful time to start off with a word of prayer. If you, if you have a faith yes. um, or just have a time. And even let your children pray. Exactly. Because they, you want to teach them that too. Right. So you mentioned, you know, we, we talked about mentoring and, and, and the power of that. And, and you see that I work at a school. Ideally, I wish we could have mentors for every single student, you know, because I think there's, there's that power in that one-on-one or that, you know, one to two or whatever. The root word of discipline is disciple, is to lead, is to, right? And so who was a mentor for you? You, you stated that your father you know, signed you off or so there's not a connection with your biological father. Mm-hmm. Obviously you had a lot of experiences through your, your development. Was there one person, a couple of people who mentored you? Well, there were a couple of people, as I said, the, um, when I got back in the church, one person that was very instrumental in me getting a foundation, Bishop Darrell husband of Mount Olivet church. Mm-hmm. Then another guy, as I began, as I began to attend the church, another guy I saw who was a minister, and he was well admired. I loved his humbleness. He was kind of a go-to type of guy, you know. Whatever needed to be done, he was the one to get it done. And I admired those qualities. And one day he was ushering, and I came out the aisle, and I walked up to him and I said, "You're my mentor." And he said, "What?" I said, I just chose you to be my mentor. (laughs) And he and I have been friends almost 15 years now. And there have been other guys. um, Some guys, uh, you know, uh, I'm a big fan of folks like Miles Monroe, Tony Evans, John Maxwell. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of these things, man, I, I, I go on, I read their books and learn myself. Well, I think that's important. I, I just I wanted to, I didn't want the show or our talk to to not I didn't want it to to end where we didn't acknowledge those who mentored you specifically and to speak it to honor them. And my hope, and it sounds like one of them you already have. Do they know the power that they played in your life? Yes, absolutely. And you know, I had a high school teacher. He was the first African American male teacher I had ever had uh, in all my school days, mm-hmm. and. He just made such an impression on me in terms of the appearance of a man and being well-groomed and, you know, there's no dirt under your nails and keeping your hair cut clean and, mm-hmm. you know, just looking neat. And he made a big impression on me that has lasted lifetime. Isn't that crazy? Because I think, too, you know, Coach, it's like I, I was sharing with you, being an educator, you know, if you're doing this to get accolades and to get affirmation, you're not going to get it. It's rare that a student will come back and say, hey, thank you for what you did, you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and with the kind of line of work that you do, you know, if you get that or you don't. <laughs> I'm laughing, bro, because that's not a problem for us. Those guys in our very first class, they'll still call me. Oh, man. We that's still cool. have relationships. Yeah. Guys call me at different points, you know. Uh, a lot of the guys still call me and say, uh, Coach, I'm considering doing such and such, and I'd just like to get advice on that before. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. Well, and because I, I wanted just to, an opportunity for you to, to say thank you, or, or but it sounds like you already have, but just to, yeah. for those out there that um, if there is somebody that has really meant a lot to you, uh, a teacher, a minister, a coach, somebody 
I do want to encourage you to go out there and just say thank you. It means the world. I went to a uh, Dory conference in Chicago back in 15, and there's a, f- a famous author who wrote a book. He's written several books, and he dedicated it to his English teacher who saw something special in him mm-hmm. and put him in the back of the classroom and kind of had him just kind of work on his own because she mm-hmm. saw value. She saw there's something in this kid and just had him kind of working at a different level. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, he graduated and through just constantly getting beat up as a teacher, not physically, but just, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not making a difference. She was going into her last year. She's like, I'm done. And he walked in, knocked on her door during school and gave her the first copy of the mm-hmm. book um, mm-hmm. and, it, and said, this book is dedicated to you. Mm-hmm. And she just dropped, of course, emotionally um, and how it just power of that. Right. And so. Well, kind of know, that's awesome, man, that you say that because January is National Mentor Month. It is Thank Your Mentor huh? Month. And on January 25th, it is actually Thank Your Mentee Day. And so that I'll be doing that on January 25th. I'll be reaching out to my mentees because truth be told, there'd be no coach without them. Now, when the audience listens to this, it'll be, you know, it won't be January. So, uh, but you can do it today or wait till January of 2024. <laughs> but I'm glad you said that, Coach. That's that's awesome. And, and just for you to be able to speak that out loud to those coaches that are mentors for you. We are Bear Crawl with dads. We are, obviously, the focus is, is to encourage dads you know, out there who, in the, you know, the word bear crawl is that imagery of just, it's a workout. And when you're working out, it's a, it's a bear crawl because you feel like the weight of the world's kind of on your shoulders and you're kind of, kind of getting through this. Right. And so what would you say to wives out there, to moms out there? I think the secret sauce behind a lot of strong men are, are the wives, you know, or the moms, Sometimes the backbone, sometimes they're the prayer warriors who've been Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. on their knees for years and years and years for their Mm -hmm. son or their daughter. What are your thoughts? What comes to mind to the wives and to the moms out there? You know, I actually would hope that they would actually gain a heightened awareness of what dads are going through as well. And recognizing that a lot of the fathers are operating out of a state of hurt. And we, we all know that hurting people hurt people. And so it's a difficult situation for women because they've had to step up in ways that they weren't called to step up and and be, but they've had to fill that role because of our absence. Yes. And so mothers, daughters, aunts, I'd like to say thank you for what you've done holding it down thus far. In holding it down, though, we also need you to understand that as we heal these men, and they're trying to take back their roles in their families. You need to give them the space to do that. Too often we hear our fathers saying, man, I'm taking these classes, I'm changing, and she's not. It's still making it difficult for me to be the leader in my home mm-hmm. because we aren't on the same page. Mm-hmm. We aren't, you know, in a sense, we might be outgrowing them or they may be intimidated because now we're getting this knowledge of where yes. what we should be doing. Yes. But we're not getting this knowledge to harm you or belittle you or bemean you. We're trying to be the partners that you deserve. Right. So there should be, you said, some space with grace. 
Yeah. I'm adding the grace. Yes. But, you know, a lot of times, too, we want to hold people to their past. Exactly. If, if a person is making efforts to change, give them space and room to change. Now, if you begin to see a repeat pattern of a behavior, that's one thing. But if you see change in somebody and you're still holding them to that old person, man, wow. Well, and that maybe says a little bit about that person, that there's some things that needs to be worked on there. Absolutely. You know, and it takes two to tango for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, um, I know you mentioned to me, Ross, that you wanted to have some positive things, some good things for moms that when dads are involved, there are also some good benefits that mothers reap. Part of those benefits are they're more likely to receive prenatal care because the dad is involved. The dad is going with their visits. He's interested. Mm-hmm. They are less likely to smoke and drink during pregnancies because the dad is holding them accountable. Mm-hmm. They have healthier births. They're at lower risk for postpartum stress. If a dad is involved, it makes more leisure time for them. Here's a big one. If a dad is involved with the children, it makes for higher marital satisfaction. Bingo. You know, my daughter that lives in Baltimore, I I spent the week after Christmas, I spent the whole week with them. They're new parents. Their daughter is just a little tad bit over two. But you know what I saw, man? I saw my vision come true. Because what I saw was a mother who was patient and attentive to her child. I saw a dad who had stepped up to the plate. This guy, and I don't even call him my son-in-law anymore. This is my son. (laughs) I saw him doing bottles, doing laundry, you know what I'm saying? Cooking, fixing their meals, looking out for not only his child, but for his wife. It was raining one day, and typically her car is outside of the garage. He was thoughtful enough, knowing that his wife had to go out, thoughtful enough to pull her car into the garage so they, him and her and her child wouldn't have to go out in the rain. And so he was raised right. Well, you know, it's interesting, Ross, because it's, it's like, where does he get it from? Because I grew up without my dad. My daughter's mother grew out without her dad, and he also grew up without his dad. But what I saw was a wonderful relationship. What I saw was just, it just blew me away. I'm like, this is what I would want every family to have. Mm-hmm. And I believe that's because of the work that I've been doing. Mm-hmm. My daughter would not have gone out. We should be the example for our daughters of the man that they should go out and look for. And I'm grateful that she found someone like me. What a blessing. As a matter of fact, I called him today. And normally when I call, I call her. But I called him specifically today to say, Brandon, man, I'm proud of you. I love you. And I really appreciate how well you're taking care of my daughter and my granddaughter. Wow. He will never forget that. Absolutely. That is a blessing, man. That is that is huge. See. You know, Ross, here's a secret. That's huge. Every child wants their father's blessing. Yes, yes, yes. And guess what? I freely give it. I freely give it because I want you to be empowered. 
I you looked know, at him like Jesus, like like God looked at Jesus. I said, this is my son who I'm well pleased. <laughs> and when that happens, man, we know we he holds no good thing from us. And that's how we should be as father. We are created in his image. God's image is to create and to cultivate. And so whatever we create, we should be cultivating it so that it comes to fruition. Our job as the leader of the family is to make everybody else around me better. And well, if I'm not making them better, I'm failing. Mm-hmm. Not only my tr- children, but I feel like that about anybody I come into contact. When I come into contact you, I come to add value to you. <laughs> That's what we should be doing. Life, to me, the secret in life is, is relationships. How well do you treat people? That's God's greatest possession. How well do you treat them? How well do you treat it? He's watching us. Futurely are reflecting his love and professing to be his followers. <laughs> right? That's right. Love better be coming out of every pore, no matter what you look like, what you come from. You know, and, and I think getting back a little bit, what you said about having a father's blessing, it's like, I feel like we all, whether it's male, female, or just one is, do I have value? Do I have worth? Do I have what yeah. it takes? Where we are yeah. looking for validation. And if we don't yeah. get it, then we will in find- In all the, the wrong places. In all the wrong places. And so I just want to say, you know, I think it's so, parents need to hear that. If you have not validated your child, you need to do it. You need to Every do it. Every day. You know? Because- Every day, because they're being bombarded with society from all directions. And just like us, you know, we have to, you know, at times quiet ourselves so we can determine that the voices that we hear is the voice of God. Guess what? Your voice has to be the loudest voice that they hear. Mm-hmm. To drown it out. You know, I made a mistake. I know that's shocking, but I, I remember I made a mistake. And, and my dad, I'll never forget, you know, uh, my dad said, I just, uh, I'm, di- I'm so disappointed. Uh, yes. I'm so disappointed. Yes. And that, yes. that crushed me. Yes. And I still remember that. Now, you could spank me all you want. You could yell in my face all you want. And actually, that for me, my personality, that actually make, digs my heels in even more. Yeah. I'm like, oh, really? Okay. Well, hit me, hit me again. I don't, I mean, it's going to yeah. actually make me more ticked, yeah. you know, or yell at me. Okay. Well, you know, like that doesn't do it for me. But when yeah. you say, I'm disappointed in you, I've lost faith <laughs> in you, whatever, then I'm done. Yeah. Just the power of that that parent yes. or that dad validation is everything. It's huge. Everything. But as far as with what you're doing, what you're seeing going forward with your your ministry and your nonprofit, what would be to sum some things up for the audience for I know you, you gave a little bit of the challenge to to the moms, to the wives, which is crucial. But what would be some words of encouragement? Again, to those out there that are just either saying it's too late or I've, I've, I've dug myself too much of the hole or those that are like, hey, I'm doing great. I haven't screwed up. What comes to well, mind? It's never, it's never too late. And you don't know what you don't know. We live in a society where information is more accessible to us than in any point in history yet we're not accessing it. Guys, one of the responsibilities that you have is to learn about the world that you live in. 
And the reason for that is so that you can prepare your children for that. If you're unaware, then you're not equipping your children to go out in a world they don't know nothing about. How would they do that? Like, because I'm, I'm, I've got a two-year-old, almost two-year-old. Mm-hmm. So what would I, what would I need to do when you, when you mention that? Obviously, you got to connect with some, some groups or some men, and we'll sit there and we'll play video games for five hours, but we won't research a resource that might help me. One of the things that guys suffer from is that it's difficult for them to ask for help. Uh, it okay. makes them feel less of a man. Okay. It makes them feel like they can't meet their own needs. But we all need one another. Mm-hmm. This is not, we're not meant to go through life alone. And as a father, you can't do the job alone. I need other men to guide me, to hold me accountable, to teach me, to give me direction, and to model it for me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting that Guys want to be a part of groups. We want to be a part of France and right. all these different types of things, organizations. Why? Because we want to belong. Well, good Lord. If you put a Dallas Cowboys jersey or a Houston Texans or a New Orleans Saints, that's our way of belonging, right? Yeah. Even, even yes. that. Something right. that's so superficial. Right. Well, and that goes a little bit back to, do again, you said the father wound and the extended adolescence. Mm-hmm. Maybe getting back to a little bit of that of just mm-hmm. the 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 being having the maturity to say I can't do this alone. I do need to be with a band of brothers, if you will. And not to toot my horn, we need guys. The older gentlemen need to understand that the younger gentlemen need us, want us, but they're not going to reach out to us. It needs to be us reaching out to them and opening those doors. So how do you get like those of the Tony Evans and the John Maxwell, you know, these this older people that have a lot of wisdom who, you know, in our society, unfortunately, we tend to dismiss the elderly. They're yeah. not really honored. They're not really. We kind of just put them off. Yeah. But how do you say you guys until the Lord takes you into your last dying breath, you have worth, you have value, Absolutely. you have something to give. Absolutely. So, so how do you get that group or the greatest generation or whatever that is? to engage with <laughs> these younger guys. It really, for me, it's, I don't really do anything different. It's the same thing in, in, in the way that I treat people, the way that I validate people. I'm a very good at giving compliments and things like that. And I don't give them just to, you know, to get what I want. I'm genuine with my compliments. You know, if I compliment you, it's because it's something I noticed about you. Right. I'm very attentive. I'm very detailed oriented. I'm very discerning, if you may. And so, as I said, I'm 62 years old and I don't want to feel like I'm ready to go out the pasture. I have a lot to give. I still have a lot of value and I make help them see that they have that same value too, that you have something that's worth giving to these guys and they're hungry for it. All you have to do is just open your door. So maybe that's a challenge to anybody that's listening. Again, there's so many dynamics to this, our conversation. You know, I feel like we could just go on and on, but the need is great. And how do you meet that need? But it's like those that work, you know, whether it's a, a faith-based organization or, or not, but anybody out there, how do you bridge those that need it versus those that can share it? 
and have those conversations. I don't know, obviously, personally coming from a faith-based background and being involved in, my, in a local congregation of faith, I don't see the intentionality. There it's the word. You know, just like, guys, we don't have, we don't have time. Like, That's the, the word. The, the, we, we are in a battle. It's real. And I don't feel a sense of urgency. Yeah. You mentioned earlier discipleship and mentorship are one and the same. Discipline comes from the Latin word disciplus, which means to teach and right. guide. Uh-huh. You play the same role as a disciple. You're asking people to walk with you and you're guiding them through their faith. Mentorship is the same thing. You're guiding them through life. And what most of us fail to realize, we play sports. We have a coach to help us get better physically, you know, and so forth. We have all these different types of coaches, but we don't think we need a life coach. Somebody who's willing to walk through life with me and help me figure out my vision and my plan. And that's part of the reason why a lot of our fathers are struggling, too, is because they lack vision. They can't give if they don't have it, I guess. Right. They lack vision. And so how can you lead when you don't know where you're going? Well, you have a bunch of arrested development or, or, or father wounds leading father wounds, or it's almost, you talked about mental health earlier too. And funny side story, I hope this relates, but I remember when I got back into the world of teaching and I was working in, in middle school and I had a boy say something to me that triggered something in me. And I reacted like I was back in middle school. Yes. And I was That's like, true. Wow. I, I didn't see it coming. It, it shocked true. me. And I was like, here I am talking to this kid. I'm the adult, but I'm talking to him like I'm a, I'm a peer of his in his class. And it really mm-hmm. took me by surprise and realized that's a wound that was never healed. And I'm still sensitive to that, you know? And so point being is how many of us are reacting in that same a vein? Lot. A lot, man. Do we have to take care of our own issues, being very self-aware, humble, like you said, I need help, coach, you know, I need to get my act together before I can give it. I need to heal. Mm -hmm. I need to heal. Right. And that's a great example that you gave too, because I know with my second wife, you know, I'm a very playful type of person in my relationships. And I was washing dishes one day and she was sitting at the table and I playfully stuck my hand in the water and I flicked the water in her face. <laughs> and she went off. And I'm like, I was just playing. It's just a few drops of water. I didn't realize, though, that her previous husband had tried to drown her. Oh, Lord, yeah. And so I triggered her. Mm-hmm. That would be advice for both mom and dad as well is, you know, begin to really understand each other's past and what we've gone through mm-hmm. because yeah. those things are impacting us today. You know, I can have a good relationship with my wife because I know that she grew up in foster care and that she's going to have some issues from that, mm-hmm. but that she also had her first marriage was an abusive marriage. She's going to have some trauma from and damage from that. Mm-hmm. And guess what? When I'm interacting with her, especially earlier on, you know, in our relationships, I had to be understanding. I had to be patient. But I could only do those things because I was aware 
of what she was going through. And again, that's a whole nother topic. But but as far as like for those that are married, whatever the your status is in your relationship, if it's if it's contentious or not, but the, the constant communication and, and, and understanding and, and that was a great story with you and, and with my wife, you know, just having that constant conversation and something maybe that I said that mm-hmm. was misinterpreted or, you mm-hmm. know, being that, um, you know, I have a stepdaughter and, and whatever in that past relationship, you know, of saying something like you in, innocently and like, ah, but acknowledging that and, and trying to really be mindful and look through that lens of love and just to, to try to show grace and understanding. So I think that's, I'm glad you mentioned that because I did want to tap a little bit onto the women in our lives, whether it's a, a wife or a mom. And because that's several interviews I've already had. Several of my guests have been like, well, I, I can't do this without mentioning really my backbone is my wife or or my mom was the one that really held the family together. Or I, I don't, I, I've never communicated with my dad, but it's my mom that was a quote that father figure, if you will, in my life, you know, mm-hmm. um, that was a disciplinarian or a show tender, you know, so I definitely want to yeah. acknowledge that too. Well, coach, I, I, I think it, there's so many things that you mm-hmm. said that tonight have just been so powerful and so honest and open. And what, for those that live in the Richmond area or for those that are, are within driving distance, what are some ways that the listeners or for those that have access to the internet? How can they get a hold of, of you or your ministry and see all the, because you guys offer so many amazing classes or, you know, ministries there. Just tell the audience what, what they could do, how to reach you and, and what you guys do. I know you have different events and I'll see uh, the Fatherhood Institute. And I think there's a silent tears of men, you know, all, all that. Just to share with, with the audience how they can engage you and your team. Well, obviously, the easiest way is by going to our website, which is www.mbkgrva.org. It's pretty comprehensive. It gives a pretty good depiction of the things that we're doing. Our phone number is area code 434-422-4060. You can also reach me by email at mbkgrva at gmail.com. We also have a Facebook and LinkedIn page on YouTube as well. We're here. I used to say that we're the best kept secret in Rich- Richmond, but I think that secret is getting out. I love that. I love that. And and uh, I know your tag there on your website is a great website, encouraging fathers to the storms of life. And yeah. the fact that you are such a presence there in greater Richmond and how you're using your personal story to bless men and um, and just to show that unconditional love is is huge. And, you know, the audience, just to be in full disclosure, I came across an article and Coach was referenced in that article. And I was just really touched by it. I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go for it. And just, I found you, I reached out to you and you were kind enough to say, let's just go for it. We had a great conversation on the phone. And um, and so it. Uh, I hope our our conversation doesn't end here. And I hope that we can stay in communication and just kind of go back and forth on, on what you're doing out there and here. And also to all your information, Coach, I am going to include in the show notes. And so that way the listeners can scroll down and access all of your information, your website, your social media sites. Mm-hmm. So just no audience has that access there through the, the show notes. Anything else before we wrap up, Coach, for you that's on your heart to share? Well, you know, I, I want to say thank you, man. 
you know, I love having a platform to to share my thoughts and ideas and my passion about fatherhood. I'd just like maybe just to leave your listeners with these two statements that come from the website. And it says, imagine the transforming power of fathers coming together within our community to honestly examine their lives. Families will be transformed as fathers take the courageous steps to engage in relationships, become more empowered through instruction, and encouraged to live healthy, nurturing lifestyles. Every family, neighborhood, city, state, and country need fathers to stand up and be leaders in their homes, on their jobs, in their church assembly, and in their communities. Communities will be transformed as fathers identify ways to authentically let their masculinity impact the lifestyles of other fathers in their circle of influence. And so this thing is about each one reach one, one man, one family at a time. The word of God says that when one one is saved, all of heaven rejoices. And so often we look to go out to save the community But let's just save one family at a time and the community will take care of itself. We're going to end on that. Amen, brother. Thank you so much. It's been an honor. Thank you, sir. The honor is all mine. We hope you enjoy this latest episode of Bear Crawl with Dads. From our brother C.S. Lewis, you can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending.